morning, church. I have a special announcement to bring to you. We have a new, brand new, fresh addition to the Illuminate family. Pastor Hudson and his wife, Brooklyn, had their baby a few days ago. Baby G, Baby G's official name now is Judah Nieto Garcia. There he is, everybody. And I think they're watching online, so give them some love, will you? All right, picking up where we left off. You got your Bibles. We're back in Matthew chapter 5, the greatest sermon ever preached by the master himself, Jesus, on the side of a hill just north of the Sea of Galilee. He's been dropping so many profound truths. The crowds are gathering around him. They've never heard anybody speak like him before because he speaks with absolute authority. And in the passage we're going to look at this morning, Jesus drops the highest ethic ever spoken. And I'll prove it to you by quoting him. Three words. Highest ethic ever spoken. Three words. Love your enemies. There's never been anyone who has consistently applied this other than Jesus. There hasn't been one human in the history of humanity that has consistently applied this other than Jesus himself. In all the world's major religions, you will commonly hear things like, do good, be kind, love your brothers and sisters, love those who love you. But only in Christianity do you have its leader saying, love your enemies. Why? Well, if love is the greatest thing, then loving your enemies is the greatest thing love can do. If love is the greatest thing, then loving your enemies is the greatest thing love can do. And if you want to be different, then this is the thing that sets you apart. In this sermon, Jesus gives a summary. I think this is the summary statement of what it means to set yourself apart as one who follows in the footsteps of Jesus. In fact, at one point, Jesus, he, he puts it like this. The second half of Matthew chapter 5, verse 47, he asks this question of his followers. What more are you doing than others? In other words, that's what he's, he, it's just very straightforward, right? He's, he says, what makes you any different? You love the people who love you? Okay. Pretty much everybody does that. What sets you apart? So in laying down this ethic, he's really pressing in and he's challenging uh, his followers. Basically, he's saying, I'm calling you to love in a way that is absolutely 
supernatural. It's natural to love those who love you. But to love your enemies, nobody's, nobody's doing that. Nobody's talking like that. And so in Jesus' day, the religious leaders, as we've seen, have gotten it all wrong on just about every issue. They, they thought it was okay to, to be angry with someone as long as you didn't kill them. You know, it's like, where do you draw the line? Well, we certainly wouldn't want to murder anybody, but it's okay for us to be angry with them. And Jesus says, well, let's just speak to your heart right now, because what is the motivation behind murder? Oh, it's anger. So you see, you actually have murder in your heart. And then they would look at women with, with lustful intentions and, and say, hey, we, we just look, we don't touch, therefore we're justified. And Jesus would say, well, what's the motivation behind the touching? Well, it begins with lust. You see, you've committed adultery in your heart. They would make vows to enhance the veracity of their words, like to give it weight. Jesus said, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. You don't need to swear by heaven and earth. You don't need to say, I swear to God, I swear on the Bible. Just let your yes be yes. Because anything other than that is manipulative. They said, an eye for an eye, we're moral. An eye for an eye, no more, no less. Jesus says, don't even take revenge. So the religious leaders had it all wrong. And they didn't know how to love either. The problem is they were acting as if they received these commands about love from God and then they would tell the people what God wanted. And Jesus says, don't do what they do be very different. So let's talk about what it means to love. Matthew 5, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So this is where things take a bit of a turn, because if you've been following along, Jesus will often begin by saying, you have heard it said. And then what he does is he quotes the Old Testament, specifically the words of Moses, and he quotes them directly. But this is where things change, because Moses never said this. So when Jesus says, you've heard it said, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the religious leaders. According to rabbinical tradition, the leaders would say something like this. Love others. And remember, it's okay to hate your enemies. Now Jesus says, okay, now here's the thing. You've heard that said, but you didn't, you, that didn't come from your Bible. Moses never said that. But your religious leaders have spoken that to you. 
And what they've done is they've left certain parts out and they've added things that weren't there because Moses actually did speak to this issue of love and Jesus understood it very clearly. But this is what Moses said explicitly in Leviticus chapter 19. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So you see what they're doing? The religious leaders left out that part. They say, yeah, you, you, you should love but we're not gonna tell you how. And we don't wanna tell you how because we want there to be enough room for us to justify the ways we love or the ways we don't love people. So yeah, you are to love others, but Moses said, as you love yourself. But we won't include that. And then we're gonna include this part that Moses didn't add, and that is, you can hate your enemies. Well, wait a minute, time out, Moses never said that. So Jesus, once again, is pressing in on these people and these are the people who believe they were so close to God. And in fact, Jesus says, you're leading the people astray. You're adding to the things that, that God said, and you're taking away from the things that God has said. So Jesus understood this really well because there's this one point in his life. He was actually questioned by different lawyers at different times. And lawyers are really good at asking questions, right? And nobody likes a lawyer until you need one. So there's this lawyer that, that approaches Jesus and, and um, basically he's asked, what is the greatest command? And so Jesus answers by quoting the Bible, quoting Moses correctly. Matthew 22 says, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus quotes Moses directly. He gets it. So on these two commands, depend all the law and the prophets. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is, you can, you can dig into your Bible, and, and the Bible of Jesus' day would be the Old Testament, what you have in your hands. So what Jesus is saying is, you can look through the Old Testament, and you can follow the words of the prophets, all the commands, all the moral commands that they give, okay? And you can write them all down, and there's quite a few. Or you can do two things. Love God with all that you are, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is the greatest. If you get these two things right, everything else falls into place. You're essentially doing everything that the prophets command you to do. Uh, well, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament adds to it, and he says, owe no one anything except to love each other. So now he's putting it in the context of the church. And this is really cool. I love this concept because basically whenever Christians encounter one another, whenever we come together on Sunday mornings, here's the attitude we ought to have toward one another. Oh, I'm indebted to you. I, if I'm indebted to you, that means there's something I owe you and I need to pay up. Every time I'm with you, I need to be thinking this way. I owe you something. I'm indebted to you. It's time for me to pay it. You know what it is? love. How can I love you? You've heard me say before, two kinds of people walk into this room. The first person says, here I am. I am ready for you to serve me. I am so ready to be loved on. The second kind of person walks in the room and says, there you are. How can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I be a blessing to you? So now you're beginning to understand this, this 
kingdom ethic better that Jesus lays down. Because remember, all along, he's been contrasting two worldviews, and there's only two. Everybody is divided into one of these two. The world wants to divide us in so many different ways. According to the Bible, everybody falls into one of two camps, period. That's it. You either ascribe to a kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God ethic, or a kingdom of earth, kingdom of man ethic. Those two kingdoms will shape the way you view life and the things that happen to you. I love what Karen said. Thank you for sharing your story. Nothing more difficult than losing a child. I think the only way you make it through is you have a different kingdom ethic, a different mindset, a different, a different set of principles. It's just like she said, heaven becomes a lot more real when someone you love is there. And I love what she said. Fix your eyes on the things that are above, not on the things that are below. Because if you're constantly wrapped up in the things of this world, you're going to be undone. You're going to be ruined. And what is she doing? There can be redemption in everything. If you learn to take your struggles and your sorrows and your heartaches up into the kingdom of God up and up into his greater purposes and you find meaning it changes everything and so now God has given her a ministry that she would never ask for but is blessed comfort others with the comfort you have been given that's a kingdom of ethic mindset so Jesus is really this is he's really pressing in on this you know by by asking you how are you different? What makes you, what makes you different than others? You love others? Great. Um, pretty much everybody does that. And this is a scathing indictment of the religious people in the crowd. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? It was a blow mine. Trust me, for the people in, in his audience to be associated with tax collectors and Gentiles, they're like, whoa, back up, Jesus. Who are you associating us with? Sinners and people that we think are completely unclean. And Jesus says, yeah, you're basically, you love the way they do. How is your love any different? In other words, what he's saying is, the world loves the way you love. So the people in Jesus' day were, were very much like us, right? Uh, everybody is looking for things to justify uh, doing exactly what they want to do to feel better about who they are. So there's this other encounter that Jesus has with another lawyer. And uh, this guy, some people think he's setting out to, to trap Jesus in something. I'm not so sure about that. I think he wants to sincerely find out who, who is this guy? Is, is he the son of God? Is he who he says? Is he, does he live up to all the hype that's been generated around him? Luke chapter 10, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. So I'm, some think this is a question that's in, in, insincere. I, I think the guy actually might be honest. And he says, teacher, rabbi, this is his title of respect. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? Let me tell you, this guy's a very good question asker, because this is the right question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? That is the great question all of humanity must ask. Jesus responds, 
what is written in the law. And back in the day, this is what uh, rabbis would do. Rabbis always maintained their authority. They would never answer a question directly. This is why Jesus is always answering questions with questions. So he says, well, it's kind of like the Socratic method. Well, what do you think? What is written in the law? He's like, and this is great because what Jesus is doing is he's saying, well, there is an answer for that and it's found in your Bible. So what does your Bible say about that? So this lawyer, he's sharp. He actually knows the text. He's read the document. And he answered, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and and your neighbor as yourself. So this guy has it down better than the religious leaders. Verse 28, Jesus said to him, that's right, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And the conversation doesn't end there. But he, the lawyer, he desires to justify himself. In other words, what he's saying is, so exactly to what degree is this love supposed to manifest itself? Exactly who am I supposed to love? And who is my neighbor? So Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story, and I'll answer that question. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. They stripped him beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. So this is a vicious attack. The guy's naked, he's badly wounded, and he's by himself, violently assaulted. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when the priest saw him, he passes by. Like, he, he goes out of his way to avoid the guy. Likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passes by on the other side, totally avoids him. By the way, a priest and a Levite, these are two guys who claim to serve God by serving others. Instead, they do nothing. Verse 33, a Samaritan, but a Samaritan. And all of a sudden, the crowd, their ears really perk up. If they weren't paying attention, they're paying attention now, and I'll explain why. A Samaritan. Jesus introduces a Samaritan into the story. As he journeyed, he came to where the man was. When he saw him, he had compassion. So these two religious guys had no compassion. This guy, Samaritan, goes up to him. He gets dirty. I mean, right? Like he's getting bloody. Binds up the man's wounds. And at his own expense, pours oil and wines, medicinal. Then he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day, spent the night there. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him. Whatever else you spend... I will repay you when I come back. Lawyer, you tell me, which of these three, which of these three proved to be a neighbor to the man who was beat up? The lawyer says, well, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, yep, now, you go and do the same thing. Now, let me explain how radical this story is. Many of you may know it. 
The Samaritan was a half-breed, half-Jewish, many of them half-Assyrian, not full-blooded Jews. So to a full-blooded Jew, a half-blood was dirty. In fact, even the land in which the Samaritan lived was considered unclean. You don't even step foot in it. If you did, you had to go through all these rituals of purification. That's how dirty a Samaritan is. And then you have these two guys, a Levite and a priest. So let's just put it in a more modern day context. Essentially, these would be the two guys, they go to their, their, they go to the, their church every week, multiple times a week. That would be the synagogue back in their day, right? So they're good, good churchgoers. They would have memorized huge chunks of their Bible. They would have tithed, you know, probably in large part, they would have tithed on top of their tithes. And Jesus says, don't be like them. No, no. The priest and the Levite, they're not the heroes of my story. The Samaritan is. People are like, wait, what? Jesus took a Samaritan and made him the hero of the story. And now he's telling us to be like him. That's the example of what it means to love somebody. So this is, uh, Jesus is just, he's just, he's just so good because he's just pressing in in these spots that are really uncomfortable for many of these religious people. So, you know, Jesus challenges our own heart because, again, to put it in a modern-day context would be to say this is like taking the person who is on the far opposite side of you whatever that might mean, on the far opposite side of you. And, and, yet, and then what Jesus says is, that person is actually an example for you of how to love. Yeah, but the Samaritans don't know exactly where to worship. Remember Jesus' encounter with the Samaritan woman? First off, she's shocked that a rabbi is speaking to her. That's dignity. Secondly, she's like, whoa, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. We don't have these conversations. But Jesus breaks through all that. And she understands the cultural taboos that Jesus is just shattering. And, 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 and then she's like, well, well, you Jews say we don't worship in the right place. But Samaritans had it all wrong. And Jesus says, well, some of that might be accurate, but here, here's the deal. When we have this image of love, they love better than you do. Um, by the way, Jesus is also answering the question, who is my neighbor? The answer is anyone who is in need because the guy who's beat up, he's only described like, like this, a man. A man is going down the road. So your neighbor is anyone who has a need, anybody, period. All right, so we have to talk about this because in America, we are really confused about what it means to love. We use the word very, very loosely. The Hebrews had several different words used to describe several different kinds of love. We're just kind of generic. On one hand, we say we love ice cream. On the other hand, we say we love our family. Are we really talking about the same kind of love? Depends on what our kids are doing, I understand. <laughs> We're not love, we don't love them in the same way, but we use the same word. So what we need is a really good definition. What we need is like a, 
something deeper. So the Bible, Bible tells us that God is love, which is really interesting because what that means is you really can't understand what it means to love without understanding who God is. And then in 1 John, we get the ultimate definition of love. And this is the kind of love that every single human wants and needs. They may not know it, but this is it. 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest. In other words, it was made known among us. Here's how. Here's how we know what, God, what, what love is. Ready? God is how you know what love is. God sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. In Jesus, we find life. When we take the words, the actions, the attitudes, the beliefs of Jesus up into ourselves, we actually find life. In this is love. You want a definition of love? Here it is. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, which is the big word that simply means payment because there was a debt that we all owed, a sin debt, and that is death. God sends Jesus into the earth to die. This is why Jesus had to die, to make that payment, that sin payment on our behalf for our sins. So now we have something of real substance, right, and meaning. So let's break it down. What he's saying is that love is an act in the best interest of another. Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He met our greatest need, which was to have our sins forgiven. So love is an act in the best interest of another. Notice also, though, that love is sacrificial because what did God give? He gave his best. The greater the sacrifice, the greater the love. This is true in all of your relationships, by the way. You know, you really love somebody, you're willing to sacrifice greatly for them. So God gives his son. That's great sacrifice. Notice also that it says, in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. Love takes initiative. In other words, it doesn't wait. So to put it all together is to say, love takes initiative. It does not wait. It makes real sacrifice in the best interest of another. Now, how do we apply this to our enemies? Let's talk about loving our enemies. Exactly what kind of enemy is Jesus speaking of? Well, the Greek word translated as enemies is ektros, and it's very close to the word etros. And the word etros literally means one who is opposed to you, one who stands against you. In this context, what it's referring to most specifically is the person who subscribes to a different kingdom ethic than you. And because they have a different kingdom ethic, they're not going to like you. Because in your kingdom ethic, you're gonna stand for things they stand against. You're gonna stand against things they stand for. And by virtue of that, they are not gonna like you. In fact, they're gonna declare themselves your enemy. Oh. Jesus actually said, you know, if you follow me, you can expect hatred in this way. You can expect people to treat you in a, in a hostile manner. Now, but let's be really clear here. This is not the kind of enemy that we create because of our own foolishness, because we are rude or we are insulting. This is not the kind of enemy that we create because our social media post belittles or demeans or speaks in derogatory ways toward those who don't yet know Jesus. Okay, that's, that's an enemy that comes as a result of our own misguided actions, okay? That's not what Jesus is speaking of here. John 15, he explains, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So there's a hate by association, Jesus says, it's coming. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. You've adopted the world's thinking and ideology, man, and it loves you for that. 
But because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world. Be separate. You see, you act according to a different kingdom. Therefore, the world hates you. So there are some who are very vocal Jesus haters, right? And they're like on team Satan. They're very outspoken. Uh, like an old school Madeline Murray O'Hare, you know, one of, the, one of the founders or the founder of the American atheist who said she wants to close down every bleeping church in the country, all right? There are others who may not hate Jesus personally, but they hate what he stands for. Uh, they don't like the idea that Jesus said, I'm the only way to God. That's too narrow-minded, too exclusive, and, and for that reason, Jesus must be rejected. Um, Jesus affirmed God as creator, and so this idea that, that, that the world would come into existence through a supernatural supreme being, well, people don't like that idea, and so they dismiss God. They dismiss Jesus altogether. So Jesus says, love them. How do you love those who don't want to be around you? You've probably got some people in your life that want to have nothing to do with you. Maybe, maybe. What do you do about that? They don't want to listen to you. They don't, they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to be around you. How do you love these people? Jesus tells you how. Pray. You say, is that all? If your attitude is, is that all, you don't understand the power of prayer in someone's life. And what do you pray for specifically? You pray for their salvation. In Ephesians chapter one, I love this. This, this is Paul's prayer for his brothers and sisters, but I think it applies to, to those who have considered themselves our enemies. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which God has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. It's the prayer that their eyes would be enlightened to understand the things of God. By the way, do you understand who prays this prayer? This was a guy who was a self-proclaimed, he was an, ant- let me put it to you this way, he was an anti-Jesus Christ. He sought to kill Christians. And then Jesus radically transforms him. And he becomes a believer. Not only that, he becomes the most successful church planter of all time. I've said it before. All all of us other church planters, we have to bow down to the Apostle Paul. He's the greatest of all time. Incredible evangelist. He gave us much of the New Testament. And this is the guy that was a blatant enemy of Jesus and his heart gets turned inside out and becomes one of the greatest ambassadors for Christ of all time. Pray for the salvation of our enemies. Be very careful what you do outside of this toward those who have declared themselves against you. Don't throw any unnecessary gas on the fire that would lead them further away from heaven. Let me say that again. Don't throw any unnecessary gas on the fire that would lead them further away from heaven. So Christian, let me end by asking the question Jesus began with. What do you do that is different? What sets you apart? You do what the world does? Okay. There isn't anything supernatural about that. But when you love your enemies, you are modeling the very person who loved you when you were their enemy. Because 
while we were in sin, Christ died for us. You see what's being said? It's not like humanity was crying out to God saying, we're so jacked up down here. We're so, we recognize our wrong. Will you please help us? Will you please do something? I was like, well, since you asked. God takes the initiative and says, you don't even, you don't even see it, so I'm gonna have to prove something to you. I'm gonna have to prove my love for you. So while, while you're still in this hostile relationship toward me, watch this. He sends Jesus. Jesus gets crucified. Nobody has any excuse. What could possibly what could possibly prevent you from entering into that relationship when God has proven his love toward you? So this is, this is what I love about participating in communion together. If you're new to the church, this is something that Christians have been doing for the last 2,000 years because Jesus commands us to remember his death, burial, and his resurrection. So as we enter into this time together, again, if this is your first time and you're new, you don't need to participate in this with us, but for those of us that are followers of Jesus, this is something that's really, you're getting an insight as to what the Christian community does and what sets us apart. We remember Jesus because Jesus is our leader in all things. And if you wanna, here's the thing, if you wanna find the motivation to love your enemies, then you have to look to the cross. So Father, as we enter into this time of communion and meditation, God, I pray that your spirit would just sweep across the room in a really powerful way speaking to every heart here, whether near or far, and drawing you, drawing them to you. Lord, where there is confession, Lord, I pray confession would take place. Lord, where there is a need for encouragement, God, give that as well. God, we just ask for you to fill, your, fill this room with your presence in a very profound way even now as we celebrate the love that you have for us. And that is our motivation for loving others. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I'm gonna give you just a few minutes in quiet meditation to reflect on the verses on the screen and then when the time is right, I'll come back up and lead us through.
says, this bread is my body broken for you. As often as you eat, do so and remember me. He takes the cup and he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. And in a sense, this is a powerful symbol of God's love towards a hostile world. But God is in the business of reconciliation. As often as you drink the cup, do so and remember me. Father, even in your death, we have reason to celebrate. It sounds odd, but it, it's all because of what the death of Jesus brings and the motivation that it gives when we fully know and live in the love that you have for us we extend it to those around us even our enemies and that is what makes us different that is the softening agent even the thing that identifies us as your followers lord i pray that as we leave this place again your spirit would speak to every heart in the room who is it that we need to love that maybe we've not loved so well how do we need to be stretched in new areas of growth sanctification for our good ultimately for your glory we pray in christ's name and god's people said amen <laughs>